can be seated. Hallelujah. Wow, in just a few weeks, things have changed in this church, hasn't it? Yeah, some things have changed. I don't know if you've noticed during the praise and worship time, some things have made a turn. And it's affected the services. You know, how the service goes matters. You know, not just for your life, but I see what happens with Tim when he comes home. You know, when people aren't responding in the service, when they're resisting in some things, it wears them out. And so when people jump in and respond, it's not only helpful for your life, but it's helpful for him. Because he can go home rested and refreshed instead of drained. And so tonight I want to share some things with you. Why don't you open with me? How about we start over here in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. I'm going to share with you some very basic things tonight about how you can train your spirit. About training your spirit. And these are very simple things, but if you'll do them, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. And um, before we start, could I ask everyone, if you can, over in this section or in this, this section, to move up a little bit? Just even a row or two. If everyone could move forward just a little bit, that would be really helpful. And helpful for you as well. But um, sometimes when we have a little bit of a smaller group, it's nice when everyone's close. You don't have to sit so far away. But I want to share some things with you about training your spirit. And so let's read a couple chapters or a couple verses in John, and then we'll get into this. The first verse is John chapter 14 and verse 26, and I'm going to read this to you out of the Amplified Bible. It says, The Comforter, the Counselor, the Helper, the Intercessor, the Advocate, the Strengthener, the Standby, the Holy Spirit. He pretty much covered it all, didn't he? Whom the Father will send in my name and in my place to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things. And he will cause you to recall and will remind you of and bring to remembrance everything I have told you. And so we have that now, the Holy Ghost, to instruct us, to teach us all things. Now go with me to John chapter 16 and verse 13, and then we'll expound on this a little bit more. John chapter 16 and verse 13. And I'll read this as well out of the Amplified. It says, when he, the spirit of truth, the truth-giving spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth, the whole truth, and the full truth, and he will not speak his own message over his own authority. He'll tell you whatever he hears from the Father, and he will give the message that's been given to him. He'll announce and declare to you the things that are to come, and it will happen in your future. Isn't that good to know? We don't have to wander around life wondering what we're going to do. We can know, because we have the Holy Ghost. And he teaches us all things, and then he reveals things to us about our future. And in talking about training your spirit, I want you to know that your spirit is your guide. And where do we get our instruction? From the Word of God and from the inward, from the, the Holy Spirit in us speaking to our spirit. And so uh, I want to share with you one thing Brother Hagen said. He said, we need to train our spirits so that they will become safer and safer guides. We need to train our spirits so they're safer and safer guides. 
And um, I'm going to share with you two ways tonight in which you can train your spirit. And the first is renewing your mind. And the second is being a doer of the word. And so it matters that we do those two things because those two things, among other things, but for the sake of time, we'll just teach on those two things. But those two things will help to train your spirit. And so then when we know which direction to go, because our spirit has been trained, it will guide us into all truth. And, you know, there's a lot of people not knowing the truth about a situation. You know, they think that they love someone, but the truth is, once they get married, that person's out of church. That person wasn't with them because they love God. That person was with them just because they wanted to be with that person. You know, an investment can look good, but God knows the truth that that's not the way to go. And, and so we will always fail in life when we're looking to circumstances to tell us what to do. We're looking to our senses to tell us what to do. What we need to know is the guidance of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And we need to know what direction to go based on what the Spirit of God is saying. In his word and to our spirit. And I was just looking up some things. Uh, for some reason, I keep being drawn to people who climb Mount Everest. I'm not, I, that's just something the Lord prompts in my heart. And a lot of times, just like in, in uh, you know, the, in the Bible, they would take a natural illustration to teach a spiritual truth. Yeah, sure. And so I was looking up some things about climbing Mount Everest, and uh, they were going over how much money it is and how long it takes and all of those kinds of things. But one of the things that they said was, you need to have a guide yeah. to make that climb. And they rate their guides based on how much experience they have, how much training they have, how many climbs they've made before, and all those things. And then there's a price for each guide based on that. So you can pay a cheaper price and get a lesser guide, or you can pay a more expensive price and get a better guide. And so what we see is there's a value on having a guide. And the ones with lesser training provide less opportunity for success. You know, people pay more money for a higher price guide because they know they have more opportunity. There's more chance that they're going to reach the top of that summit because those people have been trained more and they've been up there or attempted going up there more times. And so I know if I was making that climb, I'd want to have a little bit of extra money and pay for someone who who had more experience. And, And, you know, it's not just those people... Uh, those guides who have gone to more school or who know more in their mind, but also those who have more experience. Yes, that's right. And I think sometimes Christians get a little frustrated and want to get a little ahead of themselves. But so many things, I love what Brother Hagen said. It was very helpful to me. He said, you know, so many things are learned through growth, grace, and experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so some things are going to take time. But if we're continually working toward that, we're making progress. I want to share something that I read with you off one of the sites. It says, one of the keys to success for making the summit was good judgment. Just basic good judgment. Good judgment in a guide. And what they said was, you can climb there and be safe using, you know, uh, proper amounts of oxygen, having the latest weather reports, good equipment. But none of those resources replace or take the place of good judgment. Good judgment gained after years of experience making safe climbs 
and good decisions. Professional, experienced guides make the best decision makers. So see, that's their lure to try and get you to pay the higher price for the better guide. But it's true. We need to be experienced in training what's on the inside. We need to be doing something toward that. And so many people, I think, are at a loss of how to train their spirit. And there are several steps to it, but the first one is renewing your mind. Because what happens in a situation, and you need to know what to do. The Holy Ghost speaks to you about what it is that was in his word. He reminds you of what he said in the word. And uh, one of the other things that they were talking about was that, um, you know, in order to make this climb on Mount Everest, you have to have a resume. A resume showing that you have attempted, progressively attempted uh, other mountains. That you start with a smaller one, go to the next level, and the next level, and the next level. Because they don't let someone who just went to Allegheny State Park show up and climb Mount Everest. So you have to prove to them that you have made those steps. And why is that? Because you get more experience and you build endurance. You get trained in those climbs. And a lot of Christians, I see them fail, and it's not because their heart isn't right, because they want to make it to the top where God has for them. But the thing is, they want to skip all the things in the middle. And you can't skip all the things in the middle because people get hurt doing that. you got to build your endurance, get some experience, and take your time. You can't just skip right to the top. And you know that's dangerous for people. Even people who are trained that attempted to climb Mount Everest, you know they say that only about one in four make it. And to me, that sounded like the four kinds of soil. One in four make it to their goal. And I think we just have to have purpose that we're going to make it to what God set out in front. What he has in advance, the good works he has in advance for us to do. That we're going to get there. Because we're willing to go through the training. So that we know what direction to go. And we take the guidance from our spirit because we put some work into it. You've got to put some effort into it. It doesn't just happen on its own. And you can be around people who are trained and experienced and you yourself not be successful in it. You know, those guides that continue to make those uh, climbs up to the top. Just because you're with the guide doesn't guarantee you're going up. And so you can be around spiritual people. You can be around church. You can show up to the meetings and still not be getting to where you're supposed to be going. Because you're not putting something into it. You know, those people who train to make that climb, it becomes their whole life. For one, they say just to even go, it's about two and a half months from the time you leave your house till you're done with the climb because of the time to get there, and they make you acclimate. Do you know what that is? Tim didn't do that one time. I'll tell you about that, but, you know, you have to get to base camp, spend some time there, go up to the next camp, spend some time there, go up to the next camp, spend some time there, so that you're increasing going up in elevation so your body can adjust to that. 
And Tim went one time, and uh, I don't know, Pastor, did he tell you the story with Pastor Mike? They had some doozies of ideas before. (laughs) They had their mind renewed. And they decided to go to Rocky Mountain National Park and climb, like, one of the highest peaks there with no experience, no guide. They just kind of went to the office and got a brochure and then went off and did it. And Pastor Mike actually said that he was so miserable he wanted to die. Because altitude sickness, that's a serious thing. And so anyways, they got all sunburnt and blisters. They ended up in the ER. Because you know you're up there so high, but yet you're freezing because it's snow, snow and blizzard up there. But the sun is blasting on your face. And they're faces all peeling and everything and I think they ended up building a fire in the snow and they fell asleep is what happened because they were so sick and just needed to lay down so it's amazing they even got back and so see that's not wisdom (laughs) but people do that spiritually you know, they just kind of want to take off on their own without a guide, without finding out what the word says, and then you get hurt. And it's not a fun experience. You've got to know what the word says. So it's enjoyable. And it's not enough to know what it says, but to do what it says. So let's start out with some things about renewing our mind. How about that? And you know, experience doesn't mean we're going to do it right all the time. You know, there was one time, uh, it was when we were in the old building, and it was after a Saturday night service, and Tim and I had Timothy, but he was just real little. And we had asked Pastor Brad and Miss Steph if they wanted to go to dinner at Applebee's. And as soon as I asked them, something on the inside said, don't go. And something on the inside of Tim said, don't go. And we went. I don't know why, because Pastor Brad and Miss Steph would have been fine if we had told them. You know, because you reason. Oh, I'm sure it's okay. That's probably just me. You know, we just invited them. And so your mind tries, tries to get you to reason against the leading. And so a little while later in the middle of the night, Tim started having symptoms. A little while after that, I started having symptoms, and we both got food poisoning. And so, see, even though that wasn't God's plan, it taught me something about the leading. And so, at least I got to learn something from that situation. But, you know, even when you violate, it's an instruction. It's not the best, but you can still take something from it. There have been things that I've done when I was ministering or things that uh, I, I had a witness to do different, and then I knew after. Oh, don't do that again. Tim said to me one time, you know, you get your notes and you feel like you got to say all that's on your notes. And he said, don't preach beyond the anointing. When it lifts, just shut down the service. And so I remember I was preaching along. I thought the service was going real well, and the Lord said, it's done. So just close it up and be done. And I'm so glad I did. I felt very refreshed after that service. And Tim has told me at times when he preached beyond that anointing that he came home just exhausted. And so we've got to be conscious of what the leading is saying. And if you miss it, it's okay. Not that you want to practice missing it, but if you miss it, 
you can still learn from that. Oh, I remember, I remember what that felt like when I had that inward witness to not go to that restaurant. And I remember what it felt like violating that. And I didn't want to do that anymore. Right. And then Tim and I were told when I had Timothy that I was supposed to stop working. And again, what happens when, when the, the Lord tells you to quit something that's half your income? What does your mind do? Start to reason why that's not the truth. But the Holy Ghost leads us into all truth. And the truth about the situation was there was a greater blessing if we obey. But the enemy tries to point to what you won't have and all that. And... Um, and so anyways, we obeyed and we left. And God has blessed us so tremendously since I left that job. And not just financially. You know, we, do, we have newer cars now. We have two cars, thank God. Keep the peace. We have two cars. Have two bathrooms. Two different places to pray and all that. So you don't have to share and all that. But um, so anyways, we followed that leading. And when we did, we didn't just increase financially. Because now, I don't even know how I'd see Tim if I was working a regular job. Because I have to see him when he's available. And it's not always, actually never, Saturday and Sunday. And um, just so much more peace. And knowing I'm the one training my kids. But there was such a greater benefit, is what I'm saying. And so one time I didn't listen, the other time I did listen, but I learned something from both those situations. It's just experience, growth, grace, and experience. You can be patient with yourself as you're learning these things. Okay, so why don't you go with me here? We'll open up and we'll go to Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8, I'll just read it here. We've got to renew our minds. We've got to renew our minds. <clears throat> this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but sh- you shall meditate therein day and night, and you shall observe to do according to all that's written therein, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. You know, it's really not that hard to be successful in life. What do you do? Meditate in the word and do what it says. It's really pretty simple. But so many people are skipping out on that. And church attendance is not enough. Because this is where you come to get instruction, but you need to go home and make it personal. This is just where the, uh, you know, where the, I'm not diminishing the preaching of the word, but what you're getting here is what you're supposed to do at home. I don't depend on Sunday and Wednesday to fill me up and to be my only instruction. I've got to go home and do something with what I was instructed in. And I want you to know, you know, I'll share this with you. You know, it's good to note how the enemy works in things. Not to highlight him or to look toward what he's doing, but I have noticed that the enemy works in patterns. He works in patterns. For me, one of the greatest times of uh, trial and opposition and resistance for me spiritually is when Tim is not home, for a lot of reasons. 
One, because he's going to get a great download spiritually and bring it back to the church. And so the way in which he tries to hinder Tim doing that is to attack me. And I don't know if you guys know that happens, but the way in which the enemy will try and uh, pull away from a minister is to attack his wife. And so when he goes for those conferences, I'm under a great amount of attack. And not just that, but because, well, he's gone, I'm going to be preaching. And so in those times, uh, I know what's going to happen. And it would be good for you to recognize those patterns in your life so that you can be prepared for them. The night that that Tim was leaving to go out of town, at 3 o'clock in the morning I was woken up, and this is usually how it happened. Uh, the spirit of fear came upon me in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, you know, my body starts registering that. I start feeling sick. I start feeling like I'm going to die, all those kinds of things. And all I did was rebuke the spirit of fear and said, I command you to go in the name of Jesus. I have authority over you. You are not permitted in my house. You're not permitted in my body or upon my body and commanded it to go. And I knew it went by faith because the Bible said it did, but my body still felt all that was going on. And what does a renewed mind do? A renewed mind knows, even though your body's still feeling something, even though the thoughts are still coming, that, that, that your faith worked. Because the Bible says when we resist those things, when we resist the enemy, he must flee. But see, if you don't have a renewed mind, you just lay there and let them walk all over you. And so from about 3 o'clock in the morning until about quarter after 7, I didn't sleep because I was in the fight of faith. You don't sleep in a fight. What does the enemy come for? Your faith. He's trying to steal your faith words out of your mouth. And so what was I doing that whole time? Just saying all that I knew. (laughs) about the peace of God, about the victory he gave me, about the greater one on the inside. And then I sat down in my bed and um, and see, the whole time I'm running to the bathroom because that spirit of fear was, you know, registered in my body. And and so I'm running to the bathroom and the devil's then trying to point to that. See, see, the fear is real because it's registering in your body. And so you just got to keep saying, keep saying, keep saying, keep saying what I know. But I only know it because I renewed my mind. And so I'm in the fight of faith. It's a fight of words. And you know when you meditate, you have to have that in you so that you can say it. Because when those things come, it's your mind that needs to be occupied. The enemy's trying to occupy your mind with thoughts of fear. But you need to occupy your mind with thoughts of victory. And the way that you do that is be saying them. So I'm saying it, I'm saying it, I'm saying it. And all of a sudden, I got back into bed, and I was sitting propped up in bed. And the Holy Ghost came upon me, and, he, and, and I was prompted to get up and dance in my bedroom. You know, because if, if you do it at home, then you'll do it here. If you don't do it here, you didn't do it at home. So why does the Holy Ghost move upon you in a service to dance in the Holy Ghost? Because you're glad you're free, you're joyful, you have peace, you've received from him, all those things. And he said, if you really believed it, this is me. But what I sensed him, it wasn't what he was saying, just what I knew to be true. 
And so I knew, get up and dance in the Holy Ghost, because I was glad I was free. And that was an outward testimony of being free. So I'm at the end of my bed doing a Holy Ghost dance. My kids are sleeping, Tim's sleeping, and I'm doing a Holy Ghost dance in, the, in my bedroom. And when I got done, I just laid in bed, and I was so refreshed. It was like that whole thing lifted. But how did I know all, to do all that? Because I had renewed my mind. I meditate in scriptures about the greater one, how I'm free from the enemy, how to resist him, how I have victory over him all the time. And that word meditate in Joshua 1.8, it means to mutter. You say it to yourself over and over and over and over again until it's in you. Till it's in you. So then when those situations come up, you know what to do. Because your mind will try and tell you you don't know. What are you going to do now? The enemy will try and tell you, what are you going to do now? See, this is upon you. Now what? Oh, I know what. I know what I'm going to do. Because I've been meditating and I know what the word says. All I'm going to do is get up and do what it says. Because it's not enough to know. So could I have laid in bed? Tried to think upon what the Bible says. I could have. But that's not what was appropriate for that time. That's what meditation is for. Then you do what you meditated on. So I could do that because I already had it built in me. you got to have it built in you. Because, listen, we are in the fight of faith. Those things come. You ever had the enemy try and put something upon your body? And then next thing you know, he's got you dead and buried and in the, you know, got you planning your own funeral because you had a little scratch in your throat or something, you know? So you've got to do something when those things come up. But you can't do any of it until you've built it in you. And it is so simple. All you do is get quiet. Do you know, there's not much that's quiet in this world anymore. You know, we have iPhones and iPads and iPods and we have laptops and, you know, satellite radio and DVDs in the car and MP3s and all this stuff. So it's good because we can have teaching with us wherever we go. But in the same time, we need to learn to be quiet. Let me share a scripture with you in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. First Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 11. And we'll read this out of the King James Bible first, and then I'm going to read it out of the Living Bible. You know, <clears throat> when I go on vacation, every year my mom takes us on, my mom, my stepdad take us on vacation, and Sarah Matt told us about this restaurant called Rio's. And it's this restaurant where you pay like a flat price. It's kind of like a sit-down buffet in a way, right? And... So what they do is they have, you pay, pay a flat price, and then they sit you down at this table, and they have these guys that walk around with these metal skewers, and they have a carving knife and a little dish that they set that skewer on. And all they do is they go to the kitchen, they get that meat, they have chicken and ribs and filet and rack of lamb and, or leg of lamb and all kinds of stuff, any meat you could possibly want. And they go out to that grill, 
And they get it on that skewer, and all they do is make rounds at all the tables as fast as they can because they got to dish that meat out hot. And they come up and they say, do you want this? And if you say yes, they quick cut you off a piece, and away they go. Then some other guy comes up, do you want this? And they cut it off, and, they, and, and then he goes. And that is what the enemy does. So all he has is repetition and suggestion. But that doesn't mean you have to take it. Because that guy with that chicken, I don't want chicken when I can have filet. And so that guy's coming around, he's offering chicken, and I say, no, I don't want any chicken. A few minutes later, what does he do? Come around and offers me chicken again. Even though I said no 10 minutes ago, he's offering me chicken again. Because they have to, you know. They want you to eat more chicken, obviously, than filet, because it's more expensive. So even though you said no 10 minutes ago, he's offering it to you again. And that's what he does. Keeps offering it. And that's exactly what the enemy does. He tries to tell people their faith isn't working, but all he's got is repetition. He's just coming around, offering the same thing that he did a month ago, offering the same thing that he did two weeks ago, and that's all he's got, that's all he's got. is repetition. And all he's doing is coming back around to see if this time you're going to say, yeah, I'll have it. He's coming back around with thoughts of lack, thoughts of offense, thoughts of defeat, thoughts of divorce, thoughts of oppression, thoughts of depression, suicide, all that stuff. Just bringing it back around, seeing if you'll be like, you know what, you're right, I am depressed. He's just got, you, got to get you to agree with it. All I've got to do is tell that guy, okay, and I'm getting a piece of chicken. Even though I want filet. All I said was okay. All I had to do was agree with what he offered. So a lot of people, enemy coming around, circling back around, just making his, his patterns, offering people things, and they're saying, no, thank you. Nope, don't want that. Resisting that. Then next thing you know, it's been 10 times in a row that's been offered, and they go, okay. And then they end up with it, and they wonder why. Because they agreed to it. The enemy offered it, and they agreed. If you don't agree, he can't give it. He can't give it. And you know, we were talking about Mount Everest early, earlier. And the danger, just naturally, for those people who don't want to acclimate and go up, they just want to go right to the top, but also spiritually. Because listen, the test that I'm facing now, the resistance, the difficulty I'm facing now is not one I faced when I first got saved. But, but it's also not to the level that Dr. Dufresne is at. And so... Your test is to the level in which you are grown spiritually. And so when you grow up spiritually, so does the level of your test and your opposition, right? When you climb that mountain, and part of the acclimation just isn't for, you know, the um, oxygen in the air and for your body to adjust. It's because the further you go up to the top, the, the storms are more severe. They have hurricane-force winds on that mountain, monsoons in certain seasons. There's only like a month and a half, two months that you can even climb it. But the further you go up, the bigger the storm, the greater the storm. And you have to be more and more skilled to navigate. You've got to listen to the guide. And so what happens is when people try to just shoot up spiritually, they can't because their growth won't meet the resistance. And so 
And I'm telling you this not to scare you that as you get, you know, trained more spiritually that you'll have greater tests, but for you to be aware that the more you grow spiritually, then so does the resistance. But that's why you want to do it steady, you know, so you can succeed. And also, the closer that you are to Tim and I, the greater the resistance. The proximity to us. And we see people get uh, promoted in the church. More responsibility and, you know, doing things that are closer to us. And they meet greater resistance. Because they get closer to the level of test that we're going through. And you got to recognize that. So when you get promoted spiritually, there's going to be greater resistance. And just be on guard for it. That's right. Just be on guard for it. And I want you to know, great promotion is coming in the church. When Brother Tony and Miss Vanessa get here, there's a big change happening. And I'm talking about spiritually. With people coming, greater influence, a greater voice in the community, um, lots of things. And when that happens, people will be tried. And so we have to be grounded in the word so we can withstand those, those, that resistance that tries to come against us. And in meditating in the word, in muttering in the word, you must be quiet. You must. I have two kids, a four- and a two-year-old boy. And I know loud... And I'm a quiet person. If people just didn't talk to me and I was at home by myself, naturally speaking, I'd be okay with it. Like sometimes when Tim wants to talk to me, I got to really work at it. Because I'm okay. He'll say, oh, honey, let's sit on the couch and cuddle and just talk. I'm like, okay, let's do that. (laughs) Not because I don't love him. Just because naturally speaking, I'm okay with things being quiet. And so having two little boys has... It's trained me in things. And I've got to train them in some things. Because they want to be loud. They sleep loud. They eat loud. They bathe loud. They do everything loud. And so I think males in general are just more that way. You know, their hobbies are loud. Guns all the time and whatever. So... I've got to train them to be quiet because their flesh doesn't want to do that. And so I make Timothy, you know, sit on the couch. Two minutes for him is a lifetime. And so even if I make him just sit there, you know, sometimes I make him sit in my lap and I'll read to him. Or sometimes I make him sit on the couch and they're not doing anything. They're being quiet. I'm practicing, helping them practice be quiet. Because I see the difficulty with Christians who have never done that in their life. They've had lots of excuses of why they can't get quiet. They've got a job. They've got to take their kids places. They've got to take their kids to the sporting events. And, you know, all these things of good reasons why they can't get quiet. And then when one of those reasons go away and they start having some quiet time, they fill that back up. And I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't have a social life, but we need to practice these things in our kids when they're little so that it's not so hard when they get older. Because I see Christians really struggle with that. 
being quiet with God. Meditation is not a loud event. And so I'm training my kids. You got to be quiet. I think I say it to Timothy a zillion times a day. I wake up saying it. Because he wakes me up this close to my face going, Mommy, can we go downstairs now? Can we go downstairs now? Can we go downstairs now? I'm like, just be quiet for a minute. It's not that far away. You know? And um, so anyways, we've got to learn that. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's read it out of the King James, and then I'm going to read it out of the Living Bible. That you study to be quiet to do your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Well, that's a mouthful. That's a three-hour sermon in itself. Minding your own business would be good. Minding your own business would be good. Study to be quiet. So it doesn't come naturally if we have to study for it. Right? I went to college with Tim. He was not the same student I was. He didn't even buy the books. (laughs) He went to all those years of college, never bought a book. Actually, I think when we were in Fredonia, he paid half of mine just being nice. But he himself never bought books because, you know, we were in the same classes. So we, we bought them together, but he didn't really ever use them. Why? Because he'd just show up to class and he just kind of knew it. He didn't need to study. And so I didn't know it, so I had to study. And we don't just naturally know how to be quiet or else he wouldn't have said study. And Tim even studied loud now that I think about it. He asked me one time, let's study together. And so we were studying, and he's tapping his pen and doing this with his foot. And next thing you know, he gets up, and he's walking around the room getting a drink of water. You know, it just, it was loud. (laughs) But anyway, we've got to study that. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 in the Living Bible says, This should be your ambition, to live a quiet life. To live a quiet life. Yeah, we have to train ourselves to do that. Because life is loud. Aren't you always bombarded with things? I mean, you can't even be home by yourself. And you got Jehovah's Witnesses coming to the door, the turf tender guy coming to the door. You know, people coming. And I'm not against guests and everything, but you know, you got to have quiet time. And you have to guard it. As soon as you purpose to be quiet, you're going to be needed heavily. Your phone's going to be going off. People are going to be emailing you. Your husband's going to want something. Your kids are all, all, all of a sudden desperate for something, you know? And so when you purpose to get quiet, all of a sudden, everyone's going to want a piece of you because that's the enemy coming to steal that. And we have to guard it because no one else is guarding it for us. We have to purpose that. When I studied, I set aside time. When I knew, knew something was coming, I would set aside a specific time. And that's what we do when we study. We set aside time. What do you do? To go over the material. Get it built in you. So when the test comes, you just give up the answer. And so we need to study to be quiet. So we got it built in us. 
when the test comes, we just give up the answer because the answer's on the inside. There were times when I didn't study and all I did was stare at my paper. I don't know. Hope for multiple choice, you know. But life is more than that. You can skate by doing that in college. You can't skate by doing that in life. Because some things, decisions that we make, there are effects that last a long time. Sometimes a lifetime. And I don't want to gamble on multiple choice. Hope I hit the mark. I want to have studied that when it comes, I go, I know that answer. I know right what to do. Matter of fact, if they wanted me to, I could write an essay on it. But so many people are just winging it. You can't wing it and be successful. You make your way successful. That's what Joshua said. You make your way successful. You make your way prosperous when you meditate. If you don't meditate, you don't care that much about being prosperous and, and making your way with God, following him, being successful. We've got to have that. And part of being quiet is having an even temper. Being patient. Being patient. Uh, One of the definitions of walking in love is enduring annoyance calmly. If you're married, if you have kids, you get annoyed. But you don't have to walk out of love just because you feel annoyed. You just endure it calmly. I know you all don't have that, but I'll speak for myself. But part of being quiet is being even-tempered, calm-tempered, being calm. What does Galatians 5.22 say? That the fruit of the Spirit... If you have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, then here's what you have. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. None of that sounded like a bad temper to me. And when we have a bad temper, we haven't studied to be quiet. We haven't meditated enough in the Word. Because the Holy Ghost put those on the inside, but you know what you have to do? draw that out. The Bible says a wise man will draw out what's in him. It doesn't matter that you have it in you if you don't draw it out at the right time. And so we have to build these things in us so when those times come and we're heavily tempted to walk out of love, to slam doors, to yell, to hit, whatever that is, that what do we do? Draw out of the love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and gentleness, and self-control in us. You have to study. And there is a test coming. You ne- I never studied for something there wasn't a test for. I didn't go home and go, oh, I just want to study, so <laughs> I think I'll just get to some studying. I never did that, because I was smart. <laughs> anyway, but, um, you, you know, You're going to study for something because there's a test coming. And we've got to learn how to live quiet. My kids don't necessarily like it right now when I'm making them practice those things, but it's going to pay off later. There's going to be a great benefit later. Because if you don't learn it, then you've got to learn it now. And I see 
you know, people who grew up in the church and, you know, they came with their parents and they had parents who were spirit-filled and stuff, and they're so much further ahead. They know so much more. And don't get me wrong, things are being accelerated. Things that used to take a long time are now not taking as long. And so, you know, we are in a time of acceleration. But it would be better if you learn it now. Because if you don't learn it, there will be great difficulty for you. There is going to be a test. You've got to have the word built in you. And let me tell you this, that every test for each person is not the same. Some people are tempted and tested to drink and to smoke and to party and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not tempted that way. Once I was free, it, it never really, it's not something that, that is a temptation for me to go back to the bar or any of those things. But some people it is. And so know where you're tempted the most, where you're tried the most, where the greatest temptation comes against you the most, and start with that. You know, my goodness, start 10, 15 minutes a day and go up from there. Meditating. And we can't replace prayer or meditation with prayer. A lot of people want to pray because it's busy, it's noisy, it, you know, there's something going on, something doing. But we have to have both. We've got to have that part where, you know, we're praying with God, but also the quiet time where we're meditating in the Word. And sometimes even... I'll just lay on my bed with my Bible right there and, and just nice and quiet and just meditate on what he said. Just say it to myself over and over and over again. Sometimes it's one verse, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's a list of them, but I pick out the ones I need right then. And you have to know which season of testing you're in to know which spiritual activity to apply, Right? So sometimes you're in a season where you need to know, you really need to know what direction to go. Well, then you want to be spending some time praying in the Holy Ghost. But like the other night, when I was tested and that spirit of fear tried to come upon me, what I needed to be doing was confession. Yeah. I needed to be saying something oh, yeah. and rejoicing. Yeah, that's right. Praise. So you need to know, is it a time for faith confession? Is it a time for rejoicing? Is it a time for praying? Is it a time for meditation? What, where am I at right now? Because different seasons in your life require those. And the season could be even just a couple days. But you got to know what needs to be applied at that time. And the only way you're going to know that is having trained yourself, trained your spirit to guide you what to do. So let's look at the second portion or the second thing that we can do, which is practicing the word. Go to James chapter 1. In verse 22, James chapter 1 and verse 22. God's so good training us that we can know what to do. He reveals, shows us all things and what's to come. James 1, 22. So first we need to meditate in the word as part of training our spirit. And the second is to practice the word. Be doers of the word, obey the message, don't merely listen to it, betraying yourself into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. And I'll read it out of the Living Bible. It says, and remember, this is not just a message to, remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. So don't fool yourself. 
and then go down to verse 25. And it says, if anyone keeps looking steadily into God's law or his word, he will not only remember it, but he will do what it says, and God will greatly bless him in all that he does. This is the Living Bible. God will greatly bless him in all that he does. And so a lot of times we don't even know what the Bible says to do it. And then we're wondering where the blessing of God is. Because we haven't built that in us to then be able to do it. What does the Bible say about how you should behave in your marriage? What does the Bible say about how you should have a local church and have a pastor and tithe and give in the offerings and all those things? What does the Bible say about conduct in church? That's a big one. Because if we're going to be here, we've got to know how to conduct ourselves right. You know, I train my kids how to conduct themselves at home. And they're always in training. Every day they get up and they're in training about those things. What's right? How can they behave and conduct themselves right at home? And that's the same thing in the church. You know, right now Timothy's in this phase where, like, every 10 minutes he wants to do something to Michael. He wants to hit him and kick him and jump on him and throw things at him and put water over his head. And every 10 minutes. And the other day I looked at him and I said, one day Michael's going to be as big or bigger than you. And I'm going to let you guys duke it out. He was like. Well. But anyway. We don't really do that. I'm just joking. And so anyway. But here in the church that happens. See, you're inflicting hurt on people around you. When you get offended, you start talking about them. You get offended with the pastor, you start talking about them. You're hurting other people's lives, and that's not permitted here. That's right. I don't permit it at my own home, and I don't permit it at my spiritual home. I have as much responsibility to train my natural children as we do to train our spiritual children. And I don't permit that at my house. I don't permit it here. Don't just let people go up beating up on each other spiritually. It's not right. And so we've got to know what the Bible says about how we conduct ourselves in the church. You know, people can be hurt for a long time over stuff like that. It can ruin someone's spiritual walk. We have to be very careful about that and cause church splits. We've seen that. So you have to be careful. And the more you know, the more temptation there is to be offended. See, you're on staff, you're in leadership, all those things. You know stuff, so you've got more to resist in your mind. That's right. yes. That's and you've got to be on guard about it so that you say and do the right thing. How do you be on guard about it and say and do the right thing? Meditate in the Word and do what the Word says. It's very simple, but that's how you'll train your spirit, that it can be the guide that God meant it to be, and you can stay safe going to the top. And that at each level of growth and each level of temptation and trial and resistance, you know what to do. You're successful in that. You're the one out of the four that makes it. And you know what they say? They say that 80% of the, at least 80% of the people who die climbing Mount Everest, they die on either summit day or shortly after. It's very interesting to me. 
They die on summit day or shortly after. And you know why? They had the endurance to get there, but not to maintain. So you get to a spiritual level, you know, the next level in spiritual growth. You got to be able to maintain being there. And so those people, they didn't just have to give out what it took to get up there. They got to, you know, be able to live once they get there. And what happens is they show up exhausted. They've worn themselves out. Either violating a report, going when they shouldn't, going too fast, whatever. So, so you've got to follow those instructions all the way so that when you get to that next level, you can maintain it. Because, man, what does it matter if you got up there and then died? <laughs> I mean, isn't the whole point to be able to rest your life, say how you climbed Mount Everest and came back down? <laughs> I mean, if you're growing spiritually and then just gave up on it, I mean, what good does it do? You can't even tell anybody about what it was going on. You know? And so we got to be those who purpose not just to grow, but to continue in that growth and to maintain the growth we have. I have seen some people where they grew to a certain level and then just kind of faded off. And... um, We've got some people here that are just so hungry for God that they've made great spiritual strides. Great spiritual strides. And God's going to use them greater. God's going to use them greater. Reverend Chris and Crystal, God's going to use them greater. God's going to use them greater. Because they're training themselves. They're pacing themselves. And not content with where they're at. I know I want to go higher with God. And that's part of it, being hungry. Being hungry for more. So let me share some last things with you here about practicing the word. I want to share, if you don't have this book, it would benefit you to get it. It's called A Supernatural Prayer Life by Pastor Nancy Dufresne. You can either get it online or they're coming here in June. You could get it when they come here in June. But it's a wonderful book. Because when we find out what the Bible says, see, once you know, you're responsible. God's not holding you accountable for things you don't know. But once you know, then you're accountable. See, the same thing with my kids. You know, Timothy, he does something that he shouldn't for the first time. Well, he didn't know, so I warn him. But then the next time he does it, I have to spank him for it because now he knew. But I didn't spank him the first time because he didn't know. And so God's so much better a parent than I am. And once we know, we're accountable. And so once you start meditating in these things, you're accountable for them. The more you know, the more you're accountable for. And so once we find out what does it look like to have a godly marriage, what does God expect of us as a wife or a husband in a godly marriage, you know, what does it look like to train your kids right and all of those things? Then we have to do it because we know. And Tim always says it's a dangerous thing to not have your actions match the level in which you know. There's, there's a danger area there. And I wanted to share something with you. It says, this is Pastor Nancy's book, Believers who have taken the time to edify and improve themselves are the most desirable people to be around. 
And as we speak in other tongues, the spirit of man, which houses the power and the life of God, becomes the most dominant feature about our lives, and all men will seek out the company of such a man. Men are hungry for the company of a man of the spirit, a God-filled man, a spirit-dominated man. All the world is drawn to a full man. What you're full of will determine what kind of man will be drawn to you. Those full of rebellion, draw the rebellious. Those full of fear, draw the fearful. Those full of pride, draw the prideful. But those full of the Spirit of God and full of God, draw like men. I want to be someone that people enjoy being around. You know, don't you want to be somebody that everyone wants to be around? I mean, you know, we have guest ministers who come in and and everybody wants to talk to them. Why? Not because of their personality, although they have nice personalities, because they're full of God. And the world is drawn to that. Everyone's drawn to that. But why are we filled with God? What is our purpose of being filled with God? To draw the world. And it does. Mediocrity does not get it done. It doesn't. Because there's a ton of that in the world. People going halfway, kind of keeping their word, doing okay job, just doing what they can to skate by. But people of excellence, people full of God on the inside, the world knows. Even if they don't recognize what it is, they know there's a difference. There is a difference. And the way in which we're going to reach the most people is being as full of God as possible. Because they'll see there's something else. I remember where I used to work, my boss, she came to me one time and she said, how is it that you know some of these things? There's such a difference in you with some of the other people that, that I worked with. And see, she knew there was something, she just didn't know what. And that's what happens. People ask you, then you can testify. I'll tell you why. God on the inside. He made a difference. And so we have to be full of God so that when we go out, the world is drawn to it. They're drawn to it. Like she said, people will be drawn to it. And that's what we have to offer. That's what's going to happen when we go to this next level. Brother Tony and Miss Vanessa come. People are going to be drawn to it. People are going to be drawn to us. Because it's going to help us be more full of God. That connection with his ministry and Tim's ministry coming together to help the body. And so we all need the purpose. We're just going to go home and spend our time practicing being quiet, meditating in the word, so that we know more what to do. And we're not left without a guide. That's right. You know, the Holy Ghost speaks to our heart. But so many times, because we haven't trained ourselves with the word of God, We don't obey that because we don't even recognize that leading. You don't even know how much training your your spirit with the word of God is going to help you hear clearer the voice of God. Let me see. I wrote down a quote Brother Hagin said, and I want to see if I can find it real quick for you. I shared one with you earlier in the message. Let me share this last thing, and then we'll close here. Brother Hagin said, If you ever want to do anything great in life, if you ever want to amount to anything, take time to meditate in the word. So many people think it's just hours of prayer, and that's not it. Hours of prayer is good. 
But if you ever want to do anything great in life, if you ever want to amount to anything in life, take time to meditate in the word. It's very simple. Let's close in prayer. Father, you're so good. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. Father, we're thankful for your word that helps train our spirit as we meditate on it and become doers of the word. We're so grateful, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We bless you, Father. You're so good to us, Lord. Thank you for this instruction, Father God. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. Father, we thank you. We have received of your instruction. And, Father, we delight in giving to you, Lord God. So we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to give, Father, to your work. And we just thank you, Lord. You're our provider in all things. We thank you, Lord. You're our provider. We thank you, Lord. You are our provider. And we thank you, according to Luke 6, that it, when we give, it's given back unto us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, men pour into our bosom. Now, ministering spirits, we put you on assignment to go and influence people and situations for supply to flow to us personally, supply to flow to our businesses, supply to flow to this local church. We thank you for it. Now, ministering spirits, you go and bring that in in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it, Father God. Now, Satan, we command you, take your hands off our finances in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father God. We believe it so. We know our angels are on assignment for us now. We thank you. We've never lacked a day in our life. We thank you, Lord. You are our shepherd. We shall not lack or want for anything. I thank you, Lord. You're our shepherd. Bless you, Father. You take care of us. Thank you, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. Thank you, Father. We worship you, Lord, and we thank you. We have an opportunity to give in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. It's simple, but if we'll do it, it'll change everything. It'll change everything if we are doers of the word. It's so good to have quiet time with God. You know, when you have all those things going on and you have all that noise around you, it can be difficult at times to hear God speak. And so that's why it's important to be quiet, that he can just even whisper to us the next direction, and we'll obey that, and we'll have heard it. You know, when Timothy's running around, Michael's running around, and I need to tell Tim something, (laughs) I've got to first get them quiet before he can hear what I'm saying. And that's how it is with God. He's got to first get us quiet so we can hear what he's saying, right? And so we will see you first thing Sunday morning and then Sunday night. You're dismissed.